Hi everyone, welcome to Leukemia Chatters. Uh, this month we're at home, as you are probably expecting. Um, the world is in somewhat uh, a little bit of turmoil at the moment, but we were very keen to keep bringing you the podcast um, and Leukemia Care is still very much here and working to help people as much as possible. So yes, very keen to bring you the podcast still. I am very pleased to say that today I am joined by uh, two patients. Um, one familiar face from the podcast, Sam. Hello. Hi. And um, a familiar face from other things we do, such as our magazine, it's Taya. Thank you, Charlotte. Yeah, no problem. Um, thank you guys for, for joining us. Uh, I guess the first question from me is, how are you both? Are you both well? Are you both uh, you know, physically well, if not, if not mentally, as most of us are at the moment? I'm fine. I'm yeah. doing well. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah, I'm doing well too. Enjoying that we actually have some nice weather to be isolated. That's true. The weather has definitely helped me personally. Um, if it was grey and gloomy, I would have been probably a little bit more down. But yes, definitely. Um, okay, so today we wanted to talk a bit about self-isolation um, and shielding or whatever the word is at the moment. <laughs> um, I guess because... <laughs> It's not unique to blood cancer patients, but I think isolation is a part of most blood cancer patients' life. So I thought maybe we'd start with you guys just introducing yourself and, um, yeah, just tell us what role isolation has played in your blood cancer journey so far. I don't know if, Sam, you want to start. Okay, so I've, I actually counted up that I have had 14 weeks of isolation in hospital. Um, over three cycles yeah so a significant amount of time I would say yeah, yeah <laughs> um, I mean we're complaining about people, three weeks so far yeah, <laughs> it's a significant amount of time mm. so I just feel as I've said many times this is not my first rodeo so I feel very equipped to deal with this I'm not in one room I can wander around different rooms nobody's waking me up at six o'clock I'm not being you know, poked and prodded. <laughs> so actually, this this is this is great. I'm not ill. It's it, it's it's absolutely fine. It's I can deal with it. It's fine. So you were in isolation because of your transplant purely, or did you have to go into isolation because of chemotherapy as well? I had point? to go into isolation for um for the whole the whole thing. So all the way okay. through my treatment and then my transplant as well. Okay. And Taya, was it the same for you in terms of your experience of isolation and before this current period <laughs> yeah I think this current period is what I would probably refer to as five-star isolation <laughs> I agree you're not confined to that however big your room is I think I probably measured mine out in steps and it was probably about three meters by three meters and um, like Sam very similarly I was in for well I was in, in isolation I suppose for six months some of that being in a hospital but then the isolation continued when you were at home because you were mm. still very restricted as to what you could and couldn't do couldn't couldn't eat lots of rules and regulations but but now I say this is a luxury I'm at home I can walk around my own house I can go in my garden I can stroke my pets I can do all the things that I wasn't actually allowed to do before but within the we're still in a confined space but mm. but not a hospital room so that was going to be my first question is sort of how is how is this different to to 
what you guys have been through before you've given a couple of examples there but yeah just elaborate a bit more on how you think this is different to what you've experienced personally well there's no intervention Mm. we're completely in charge of everything that we do so um and as Ter just said we can eat whatever we like which is grand at this point (laughs) well there's no restrictions on that yeah there's just no restrictions you can make your own thing yeah (laughs) we can get up and we can make a a cup of tea if we want we can have a sandwich if we want we could do whatever we want Mm -hmm. and that I mean that's so completely different to hospital life um obviously we don't have visitors or anything like that but we can we're well enough to be able to speak to other people Whereas before, I mean, I don't, I can't speak for Taya, but for, for me personally, I found it really difficult to talk on the phone with people and, you know, to have FaceTime and th- because I was just so tired. I just wanted to sleep all the time. So now it's, you know, it's fine. I, I, I really enjoy my FaceTimes with people and, and mm. my phone calls with people. So it's, it's entirely different, entirely different because we have freedom. We have yeah. freedom, even though we're in a confined space. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly as Sam says, is you're not being intervened with. You're not telling the time of day by the medication that you're being given. Mm. Um, and you're not telling the time of day by the nice lady coming with a trolley who wants to give you tea and biscuits. <laughs> you, you have got the freedom to go and do that yourself. And um, hospital isolation is very regimented, very clinical. Yeah. Um, uh, and regarding some communicating, I found it very difficult to communicate with the outside world when I was in hospital. One, because there was no patient Wi-Fi. And that was difficult. And uh, in, I think I was operating on 3G and I think I shared this on Tuesday. It was I was in hospital during Christmas periods and uh, trying to do my Christmas shopping on an iPad with very limited 3G. I had no idea what anybody else was going to expect and what would turn up on their doorsteps, if anything. So it was just very <laughs> difficult. Mm. So even sort of my, uh, my, my communications with the outside world were very difficult, whereas now it's sort of got the beauty of Zoom, which we're using today to do a, a podcast. I'm spending an awful lot of time on Zoom lately, that's for sure. Zoom, um, FaceTime, you know, those are all things that you've got. Because when you're in hospital, you, you are very, you're fatigued emotionally and physically because it's the drain on you from the, the medications that you're being given. Also that emotional drain on you because you've, you've got to kind of, you've almost got to be the most amazing actor in the world because you've you got are. to be happy to support all the other people who are just devastated because you've got this disease you kind of have to live your life through their eyes as well. And that takes an awful lot of energy, which you know, now the, the lovely thing of being in remission is we haven't got that added stress. So mm-hmm. we can actually just be joyful and happy because we are. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I agree with that. So would you say it's, it's not that you'd wish ill on everybody else, but would you say it is easier or better because everybody else is kind of in the same boat then going off? some of what Taya said then in terms of having to when you're ill it's just you that's ill Mm. and you were supporting everyone else emotionally but now we're all in the same boat and we're all equally as worried about some distant virus does that make it easier to deal with this time do you think or it does I think I'm finding it (laughs) I, I can understand that other people who haven't ever been in isolation before must be finding this absolutely horrendous and Mm -hmm. I I can imagine that it must be really difficult for some people because you know it's 
it's not for everyone. Some people quite like to live in their own little bubble and a lot of people don't. No. So I think it's, it's easier knowing that everybody else is, is in the same boat as us. Um, but, but also we're equipped for this. We're, you know, we've, we've done this before. People that haven't done it before, I really feel for. Mm. Because I think if I was doing this for the first time, I probably wouldn't have found it as easy as I am, I am at the moment. Yeah. Would you say it's the same for you, Tay? If you've got something to draw on. I would agree with Sam that dare I say we're privileged to have been (laughs) we we know what to expect. Mm -hmm. Um and I think I think probably one of the things people who have never been in isolation before are perhaps struggling with is there is there isn't an end date. Mm -hmm. Um and it's that I think the uncertainty is often one of the harder things to live with. If as a human being being told you have something to do, it's going to be done by this date and then that's it, it's over. That's a much easier thing for us to actually uh, process but when when everything is quite ambiguous and um nobody's giving you an because there isn't an answer it's uh it's a lot harder for people to actually cope with mentally and I think that's one yeah. of the key the key concerns I would have for people in the community is their emotional and mental welfare yeah because nobody's had to do this before or a higher percentage of our communities don't know what this is like. So I was going to come to the tips at the end, but I was just picking up something you were saying earlier. Would you encourage people to see the bigger picture in, in that you guys are saying it was even worse being in, at least we're not in a hospital room. At least we're not in one room. At least we're not ill. Do you think it would, I think it might be inspiring for others to hear that, in that it, it could be much worse. I know this is hard, but it could be worse. Yeah, what do you think? It could be. It could be much worse. And you have to think of, of you know, the fact that we're in a place of safety. Mm. Mm. Within, our, within our homes, it, we're in a place of safety. We, you know, it can't, sounds ridiculous, it can't get us here. So it's, it's kind of, <laughs> we, we know, we know <laughs> that being in, in that room that we were in before we were so ill we didn't know what to expect we were living some of us were living minute by minute literally you didn't you didn't know what was going to happen that day you could have gone to bed perfectly fine woken up the following morning and it would would be horrendous all systems go you didn't know whether you were having blood transfusions or you know what what chemo you were going to have that day change changed so much um, you didn't know if you were going to be on antibiotics that day, whether your temperature was going to spike. So right now, it just it feels like a holiday. <laughs> it really does. Because you're thinking, well, I'm at home, the sun's shining, I can do what I like. It's so completely different. It really, really is. It could be so much worse, so much worse. I think that's very difficult for people who haven't experienced what we've experienced to to live like that because everybody probably is going through their own catastrophe and their own there and and be, and can become quite blinkered that it's only happening to them but this is happening as a nation this is happening globally mm-hmm. this is something that we're all doing but I mean I'm guilty of living in a bubble because my bubble is my safe place and my bubble keeps my mental health well um, and I don't try and think about selfishly. 
I don't think about what's happening out in the world because I have to think about what gets me through a day. And if I sit and put the TV on and look at all the terrible, sad stories, it makes me cry. And um, I don't I don't want to feel like that because I've got to get myself through this. And I think that that kind of comes from the whole cancer I hate the word journey, but that whole cancer adventure in in, in developing my own coping strategies to get through this. And but if I can help other people in by being supportive and in whatever way, but equally I'm I'm mindful that people won't understand um, our outlook on this because for them this is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. They can't leave their houses, they can't see their grandchildren, they can't see their children, they can't go to work, and. and it is, it's a huge thing and life-changing for them. But um, I don't know, I, I think uh, as a cancer patient and as all cancer patients who have experienced this, it's the safest, as, as you rightly say, Sam, being at home is the safest place to be. And it, it can't get you here, whereas cancer could get you anywhere. You could be at home, you could be at work, you could be out yeah. doing sport, mm-hmm. cancer will get you. But we are doing the right thing in staying at home and keeping everybody safe. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I guess the message then is not to belittle everyone else's experience, but but to also help people put it into context. It, so taking a bit of what you're both saying there, I yeah. think is important. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Um. Got what I was going to ask. You'll have to edit that bit out, Justin. <laughs> Normally I'm all right, but oh, I am exhausted at the moment. That's a really good point, though, is those of us who are working from home, we are all on screens all day. We are on Zoom, we're on Teams, Absolutely. we're on whatever media platform or whatever digital platform you're using. But then when it comes to five o'clock or whatever time you switch your computer off, you haven't seen your friends or your family all day, but the last thing you want to do is look at a screen. And the only way that you can communicate with them is through a digital platform. And I think that... Relating to that. <laughs> I'm struggling with that. And Definitely. I find myself becoming detached from people who I love and people who are close to me because I can't be bothered. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. It's, it's weird. I feel like I've spoken to all my work colleagues more than I normally would. Like, absolutely all day every day talking to people it's um it's it's nice but also exhausting <laughs> definitely <laughs> exhausting oh um okay so i guess the next question is while you have both indicated you're kind of finding this period easier in terms of you know more freedom than previous isolation periods you're, you're used to is it fair to say that, that being put back into isolation is also mentally a difficult thing for you, given you're both in remission at the moment? Yes, is the answer. <laughs> it is. Mm. Um, the strangest thing is that literally just before all of this happened, I'd made the decision to not have three monthly blood tests anymore and to only have one checkup a year. And it was a huge decision for me to make. Um, and then all of this came about and I had to go and have a blood test for, for a completely different reason. And straight away they said, you have to have full bloods. And it just, it set me back. 
it mass it it massively set me back it it totally knocked my mental health because I just thought but I'm not there anymore I'm not in that place anymore and then I spoke to my team asking them advice about what I should be doing and they said basically you have to treat yourself as if you have just had your transplant Mm. and I think when you've worked so hard to move on and recover to then be asked to go back is it's a very difficult thing to deal with and then you have quite a few I, I, I can't speak for Taya but um, I've had PTSD triggers and I'm, I know of other cancer sufferers who have had PTSD triggers because they are stuck at home, not seeing their family, not being able to have that interaction. I mean, I live on my own, so I, I don't have anyone else to speak to. And it's, it's sometimes, some days are hard. You know, I, I would be lying if I, if I said it was all wonderful. It's not. Some days are hard. But, you know, they're, they're, it will end. It will end mm-hmm. and, and everything will be fine again. It was, just, it was just a little bit of a, it was just a knock. It was just a, a bit of a knock. Mm. What about you, Taya? Do you feel you've gone backwards slightly in your, I'm going to say journey, because I haven't got another word to use. <laughs> Adventure. Okay, yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's a good one. With lots of twists and turns and ups and downs. Um, I think I was doing okay because I'm a year and a half further on than Sam is. So I'm five years in remission from Mm. my leukemia. And um, I just got to that point where I've just been discharged and I've made the decision to not have any blood tests. Um, Definitely no more bone marrow aspirates. Definitely had enough of those. Um, So I was going through that and then seeing everything on the news and to find out who was in the shielded group and I didn't get any letters didn't get any text messages. Oh, great. I've got away with it. I'm not a patient anymore. And then it landed and I got the text messages and then I got the letter. And then it's that, I mean, the language that was used in that letter was quite severe. And I know it was very generic because it had to cover so many people. But it, words like, um, you are at risk of serious illness. And those, yeah. those are triggers that you think, oh, gosh, you know, maybe yeah. I shouldn't have gone to the shop last week. What if I start coughing? What if I start sneezing? What if, what if? And um, I think the longer you spend in isolation, the harder it is to come out of isolation because you become quite, um, you become a little bit insular that you just, you don't want anybody else in your space. Uh, I'm very protective of of that space. And um, I found myself now, now I've had the letter, it's just stupid because it's, it's, just, it's just words on a page, but those words on a page have made me feel vulnerable. And um, that's the place that I thought I'd moved away from, but I obviously haven't. And it is still, it is still there. And those trigger words are things that set off, to the, as Sam rightly says, it's that PTSD. And uh, going out and seeing people wearing masks and wearing gloves, they're all the reminders of when you were barrier nursed in hospital. And although they're protecting themselves and other people, you feel very much that it's you um, because you get the flashbacks. Yeah, yeah you do. I don't know about you, Sam, but I know when I wake up in the moment in the morning, I have those couple of moments where everything's normal. And it was very much like that through treatment as well. And then you'd look and you're attached to a drip or you've got yes. meddling yeah. with somebody trying to stick a thermometer in your ear and you just say, Oh gosh, it's not normal. It's not, it's not, this isn't normal. And I'm finding myself doing that now that I get up early, 
like, right, go for a run, what shall I do? Oh, I can't, I can't do anything. And it's, it's those restrictions. And then you, you kind of have to go into this, this switch to this happy place. Because if you thought about the consequences, that's when you start to spiral. And I think you've just got to find something positive to get you out of bed to go and do something in the morning to set you up for the day. Yeah, and that's true. Switch off that, that PTSD that does hit because it's a very, very real thing. It is. And I think we've all switched back into survival mode as well. Yeah, fight off. And we kind of, yeah, we, we, we kind of felt we were over that. And yeah. now, now we're back in it for a completely different reason. Yeah. But now we're, we're back in survival mode and we're having to adapt to change to that particular, well, the virus in this, this particular instance. But yeah, it just, it feels weird to be back in survival mode. Yeah, I think in the beginning when this all came out, I thought, oh, it's just a cold. It's okay. Yeah. It'll just be a cold. Uh, that's all it will be. And then the reality is when you hear the stories that are so tragic that people, it's not just the elderly. And then you think, well, what, what could it do to me? I've already had my life threatened. I've already lost far too many of my, my nine lives. Um, and it's just that that fight or flight. And I don't. it's finding the energy to fight again because that's, my biggest fear with relapse is if it comes back will I have that energy again to do what what I've just done yeah I don't don't know the answer to that I agree so after all this is over and assuming we all go back to normal etc let's not go down the road if we don't but if we once we're all back in sort of a normal society again is there anything you'd like to see blood cancer patients who have to go through self-isolation get or or be it have more acknowledgement or what, what would you like to see change I guess about the treatment of you guys based on what you know about coming out of that period already the understanding of the impact of isolation because yeah. I I think and everybody will know now what it feels like to be isolated um to a degree Lots of people are going to be, you know, separated from family members, etc. So a real understanding of the impact that it has on the mental health of the patient. Mm. It's because it, it is significant. It really is significant. Yeah, I think that's where there's a gap in, in that transition of care is when you leave hospital. And um, I think I, I said this on the interview the other day was about you don't qualify as being a poorly person anymore because you don't look like one. Therefore, everything should be normal. But what I'm questioning, what is normal? And when you, I mean, I don't know, Sam, on your experience when you were diagnosed and admitted, but I had no idea what isolation was. And I've, I have some clinical background and some clinical knowledge, but not within hematology. Um, and I didn't understand what that meant other than I was, people wore pennies when they treated me. But I mean, there's absolutely no way that you could train somebody on how to be in isolation. But perhaps if there was, I don't know, a, a patient handbook, you know, on how to be a patient and covering everything from the warts and all, covering how to be isolated, how to make the best of it, what to do afterwards, and to make sure that people know that there is a network of support post-isolation. Because I definitely wasn't aware of any emotional support until two years out of treatment which was two years too late, really. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I've definitely personally found this 
um, a period particularly helpful in terms of getting recognition for mental health issues <laughs> it's just it's all of a sudden everyone's like oh people do suffer with anxiety it's like a it's, it's like a revelation the world is having I don't know if you guys have it sort of do you feel like people are understanding what you've been through just talking to your friends and family now are they like oh my god how did you do this before yeah yeah I have had that conversation mm. I have actually had that conversation and it was quite a few people and, and they've said you know how on earth how on earth did you deal with being in one room, a very <laughs> small room, um, and you you didn't have your your family around you? That you know the the only people that you really saw were professionals, and you know you had to keep yourself occupied. And it, how on earth did you do that? You just do. And yeah. I, I, how I did think you do that? How, you, you just do it. You just do it. You just, it's, I don't, I, well, you know, like I, I say often, I can't speak for everybody else, but as soon as I heard the words that I had leukemia, I went into mission mode. Yeah. It's a job to do. It's a job on the list. It was. Yeah. It was just a job. And it was, it was a case of, right, well, I have to do this, this, and this to get through this. And, and that's how I, how I dealt with it. But, and then, you know, then you have to adjust to your new normal. And now all of a sudden we're adjusting to a new, new normal. <laughs> it's just it's madness (laughs) it is it's definitely crazy I I guess it's similar to what people are saying oh you know you hear on the news about uh, they got through the war with this mentality Mm -hmm. you know that cheesy thing they always say but and I thought oh that's just a load of rubbish before but now I'm in it and I'm like okay yeah I can see how people did that they just got on with it and they just (laughs) it's quite hard to describe but it is definitely a feeling I relate to so um, I've got a newfound admiration for you guys, definitely. <laughs> it, I mean, even though I work in a blood cancer charity and you think you know everything and you think you understand it, it's never going to be possible to understand, but I, have, I feel like I have a little bit more. A little That's bit good. more understanding. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, strange times, very strange times. Uh, okay, so we've kind of done a couple of tips as we're going through, but... And I, I'm thinking we should probably separate tips into what would you advise your fellow patients to ha- to get through this time again? Um, and then do you have any advice for everyone else? So let, let's start with the patients. What would you say to someone else who's also a couple of years in remission and is a bit feels a bit lost at the moment? Do you guys have any advice for them in particular? Talk to people. Mm. Don't be silent. Don't, don't sit there and think, well, I've, I've been through worse than this, so I can't really complain. Mm-hmm. It's really important that you own how you feel and, and you speak to people about how you feel because you are going to have good and bad days. You do as, as a normal person, mm-hmm. but with, with all of these extra things on board, like triggers, um, you will have probably more than everybody else. So it's really, really important to understand that your feelings are valid. It's okay that you have those feelings and and it's okay to talk to people as well. Yeah, and it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Because we, we, we're very stoic about our disease and we, we just carry on. But there's, there's the face that just carries on and then there's the fear that you hide from everybody else because you are, one, protecting yourself because if you don't talk about it, it's not real. 
and you are protecting other people because everyone else has got things to worry about and you don't want them to worry about you. But as Sam says, talk. That is the most important thing is 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 talk. Yeah. Um, and just remember that. And I mean, sometimes it's, I, I try not to associate now as a patient, but actually maybe I should associate myself as a patient because it makes it, it makes it real and it makes it, it, it makes it easier to have bad days because mm. you're not beating yourself up over it. Cause it's okay. You, you've been sick. You've been really, really sick and you've got this far and look at you, you're back out doing all the things that you can do. And this is just the now it's not the forever. So definitely I think a lot of people who have been through cancer, their mindsets are very much living in the, in the now. And that's a message to everybody is think about what you're doing today don't think about tomorrow because it'll come that's for sure but just be in the now and just be with people or or be in communications with people who will help you whether that be a friend whether that be leukemia care whether that be somebody at work but just keep your mind busy because Mm. it's your mind that does terrible things to you when it's quiet (laughs) yeah it's interesting what you say about don't not feeling like you were a patient and then going back and thinking about going back to feeling like a patient, I guess. I hear a lot of people in remission say they don't feel like they can use things like forums anymore mm. or those kind of things because they want to feel like they've moved past it. But um, I don't see personally why that can't be a in and out thing. So you just drop in when you feel you need it. Would you encourage people to do that? If Even if they feel like they've moved on, would you feel? Would you encourage them to get back together? Yeah, I, think I probably need to have that word myself as well because I speak it but don't do it. Um, but because of that exact same it's almost um it's it's that am I a patient or aren't I a patient and you battle with that in your own head all the time because you don't want to be a patient and then it's almost like living your life through another person and the the cancer patient was someone else and that's again it's a coping strategy it's the way you deal Mm. with things or I deal with things particularly but it is okay, as I said, it's okay to not be okay and to put your hand up and say, no, there are other people who their experiences might help me. And until I actually communicate with them, I won't know. Yeah. I completely agree with that. Yeah, I'm just thinking, instead of talking about going backwards, we could talk about sharing experiences in in the now with people who have been through what you've been through. Um, Think about it in a different way. Don't mm-hmm. think about it as going backwards, but think about it if you if you can in your head. Think about it in terms of actually, it, it might be useful to be in that community again, just for the brief period where you need it. Um, I don't know. Do you, have I encapsulated what you were thinking there? <laughs> well, it's also our experiences will help other people. Mm-hmm. So by us talking about things that affect us now, it's three and a half years for me and, and five for Tay. It's it's you know, I think there's this expectation that once treatment is over and done with it, it's, it's done. You, you hear the words remission and it's done. Well, it's not, it's never done. Yeah. So it, I think it's useful for other people to realize that you will still feel like this at some points in the future. Mm. Yeah. Re- hearing those words remission doesn't mean it's over. And I think there's, there's, um, I, I might speaking from my experiences in being told that you are in remission 
I think the expectation from your friends and family is just utter joy and that it's all over. But, you know, that's where the journey, I hate that word, that's where the new adventure (laughs) That's when a new adventure begins and it's about that re-entry and re-identification as, as a person and finding who you are again. Mm. But always be mindful that you have been a patient and I think you need to use those experiences to help you live the rest of your life. Because I think if you live in, um, if you live thinking that it never happens, that's when it will come back and get you. I think you have to own it from the beginning and all, all the bad bits, all the good bits. and um, use your positive experiences to help others because in helping others you'll help yourself too absolutely I might do a poll online to find an alternative word for journey (laughs) I I overuse it because I can't find another word to use exactly every podcast (laughs) I say I think of the word journey I go to say it and then I go oh no people don't like that (laughs) I call it my sabbatical I took a sabbatical oh I like that it's like like it's like brave I don't like the word brave (laughs) yeah you don't be brave you don't have a choice Oh dear. Okay, so tips for those of us like me, like Justin, <laughs> who haven't we're a bit lost. We're not quite sure what's going on. What would you say about uh, what would you say to people like us about keeping strong at the moment? Got any tips at all? Try and keep in a routine. Mm-hmm. Because you've been in a routine through your working life. You get up at a certain time and, you know, your, your, your day is defined by times that you have to do things by. So I would say definitely to stay in some kind of a routine because I think working from home, being at home, home signifies relaxation. So everyone, everyone just wants to chill and, you know, Um, but I think it's, it's really important to try and keep a routine. So, you know, get up at the same time and go to bed at the same or have the same bedtime routine. And, um, and it sounds really, really silly, but to eat really well, because I think I'm if certainly you're struggling with that at the moment, yeah, so much because, chocolate. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel you. I do. My whole top drawer of my fridge is filled with chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just it's so important to just not forget the fact that this is not a holiday. Mm. You know, we're, we're doing this for a reason. Mm. So it's, you yeah. know, and to to see it as a positive thing where, you know, we're all, it's, everybody's doing it. It's, it's for the common good. Everybody's doing the same thing. So, and, and to, I, I make lists now. So at the, at the beginning of the week, I make a list and I try and hit the list through the week, you know, make the break the, the bigger tasks down into smaller tasks. And it just, the sense of accomplishment is fantastic. But also be kind to yourself because you're doing this for the first time and it's not easy. It really is not easy. I mean, you know, I've had prior experience and, you know, it's, it's, it's fine for me. But just take some breaks. Don't be too hard on yourself. Don't think, oh, well, I've got to do this, this and this because I've got this time. There is nothing to say that you actually have to do that. Take care of yourself first because if you don't take care of yourself first, you won't achieve anything. Mm. I do. I've been saying a lot of stuff about boredom and how to beat boredom at the moment mm. and stuff, but I don't know how you guys feel, but boredom isn't my biggest problem at the moment. <laughs> Mine is I don't want to do anything. 
motivation (laughs) yeah it's hard to it's quite hard to motivate yourself to do anything when you're so when you're worried about what's going on outside that window or you know I don't know that's just how I feel at the moment but you're right about routine definitely yeah I I would second that so I definitely wasn't a routine person Um, and then when I went into hospital I found that the only thing that got me through the day was to have a routine so even though I only had a tiny tiny room I would get up every morning I would make sure that I was showered and dressed before the doctors did their rounds I tidy my bedroom which when my mum used to come and visit she was astounded as to how tidy things were and I'd folded them which was a mission when you're attached to various machines um but and then I would write letters um my mum used to bring in cards and stamps for me and I would write, which I found, and I'm finding that actually I've, re, I've restarted that again because it's that break away from a screen. Uh, I mean, the postal service is still still working. I know how nice it is to receive a letter. So I'd get writing, send send letters to people, write about your experiences. You, know, you might want to read it to your grandchildren one day about, remember in 2020 when this happened? <laughs> Remember when nobody could go out and go anywhere or do anything, you know, write about it. So I remember a friend giving me a journal to, to write when I was in hospital and I didn't, um, but have since written retrospectively. But I wish now that I had written about it because it would have been a lot more real. Um, now I perhaps look at it through rose-tinted glasses because it definitely wasn't a nice experience. But um, just, just, yeah, just keep, if you can't talk to somebody, write it down because it will help and it, it does help. And if you can get out, if you can get out and are lucky enough to be able to get out to do that hour of exercise, absolutely, you need to do that to switch your own brain off. Even if you don't feel like it, just do it because you will feel so much better for doing it if you are capable and able. Mm. I'm being forced to do Joe Wicks once a day. Oh, the hits. (laughs) (laughs) Supposed to be for children. These must be the fittest children known to man, I have to say, because I am struggling. There's Uh, no mean feat to do a Joe Wicks PE session. We've got a PE WhatsApp group with our uh, with my work team, and everybody just keeps. If you don't want to do it, then somebody else has done it. So you're almost peer pressured into doing it, but you're really <laughs> thankful at the end because you did it because someone else did. But I do feel a bit fitter. I do. <laughs> we're all going to be such a fit nation with beautiful gardens. Yeah, tidy <laughs> houses. Yeah, tidy houses. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to look on the bright side. There must be a silver lining in this situation somewhere. I think but yeah. thank you guys for for sharing those thoughts i'm sure they'll be helpful to blood cancer patients and non-blood cancer patients alike it's certainly it's a new situation for most of us but i guess for you guys it's just new in a different way and it's been really good to hear everything you've got to say um thank you everyone for listening and i'm sure we'll be back soon with another podcast thank you for listening to this episode of leukemia chatters For more information and support from Leukaemia Care, go to our website, leukemiacare.org.uk or call our helpline 08088 010 444. See you next month.